The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk, and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Grey Cup television ratings. Mike O'Shea being wooed by the Edmonton Elks. Orlando Steinauer possibly leaving the Ticats. Hmm, the CFL's deal with genius sports. Is it really genius, though? <laughs> and the future of the quarterback position in Hamilton. But first, Dunkster, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won a second straight Grey Cup, defeating the Hamilton Tiger Cats 33-25 in overtime at Tim Hortons Field. Who did Sunday's game say more to you about, Winnipeg or Hamilton? It was the Blue Bombers because they had the resolve to come back from 12 points down in the fourth quarter when everybody at the donut box thought the Ticats had the Grey Cup in their hands and were well on their way. But we've got to remember, and I feel like the fans there were probably a little intoxicated and getting excited for the hometown <laughs> team. And let's not get it twisted, Hodge. This was a partisan Ticats crowd. Very pro Ticats. Lots of black and gold. Like the stadium was decked out in black and gold for the 108th Grey Cup, of course, for the colors because Hamilton was hosting it. But it was a road game the Blue Bombers for all intents and purposes and you know I had this thought early in the fourth quarter watching the game live with my own eyes that this Bombers team does not seem down they're not pointing fingers and they've been here before they've dominated fourth quarters Hodge you've seen it multiple times at home this year in games where they weren't blowing the team out that that fourth quarter was there so smart decision by Mike O'Shea to take the wind and it pays off were there other plays that could have allowed the Ticats to win? Yes, of course, and we'll get into those. But this victory, to me, shows so much about the culture that O'Shea has created and also the resolve, and especially a lot of the veteran players. The offensive line continued to play at a high level, even though Caleros was shaky and threw two interceptions in the third quarter. Bounces right back from that. The defense held steady yet again and allowed that time for Caleros and the offense to come around. So to answer the question directly, it tells me more about Winnipeg. It would be more compelling content for me to pick the Ticats, but Dunkster, I believe you are correct. It's the Blue Bombers. This team is a mature group and probably the most mature professional group I've seen, quite honestly, in all my time watching, covering the CFL. This unit is unbelievable. They're, they're just unflappable, unshakable. They did not play very well in the West Final. Five turnovers in the first half. They had another one in the second half, and they just kind of shrug it off late. And the same 
storyline, albeit with some different elements at play, seemed to present itself in the Grey Cup. This team was not very sharp in the first half. They were not sharp in the third quarter. Zach Kolaris throws a couple picks, and they just kind of come out and they go, okay, we'll, we'll dink it and dunk it here. Uh, okay, the run game wasn't really cooking in the first half. Okay, we'll open things up here. Andrew Harris will... We'll, we'll we'll make we'll make some moves. He'll 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 get a couple first downs, and then you know Dietrich Nichols sticks his hand in a pass. Okay, we'll knock that down. Bada bing, bada boom, we win the cup. And I think it speaks volumes that this team, you know, in 2019 went on the road, won three consecutive playoff games to win a title. They were the underdog in all three of those games. They were able to completely flip the script. And Adam Big Hill talked about this after the game how. Every team had them circled on the calendar this year, and it's remarkable the way in which they were able to, you know, and, and I'm not trying to disrespect the Ticats. Ticats are a good team, as are the Riders, who, who the Bombers won, in the, uh, won against in the West Final, but the Bombers didn't bring their A game to either, uh, to either playoff game, quite frankly. They brought their B or even their C game, and they were still able to get it done, just unshakable, unflappable to the end, and that's just unbelievably impressive, and it speaks, as you said, to the culture that Mike O'Shea has built in the peg. You can argue that that West Final was an F game for most of it, and then they came <laughs> back at the end. Man, The Great Cup was a little better. They started off, they really controlled that first quarter. They were up 7 nothing, and there were times in that opening 15 minutes where I thought, whoa, this could be a blowout. But the Ticats defense held them in long enough and then oddly enough another quarterback change not one that was forced in terms of play on the field but because Dane Evans leaves with what we now know was a neck injury that he had actually sustained before that Grey Cup infused energy into the offense Jeremiah Masoli played really well for the rest of the game probably made himself a lot of money regardless of the result because he <laughs> showed that in those big moments he's been able to get it done because we've got to remember he didn't play in the 2019 Great Cup. And if you're a team looking at Masoli as a pending free agent, you might want to bring him in. Now you know, hey, on the big stage, this dude can rally his team. Because let me tell you, he put a drive together late in that ballgame with less than two minutes left to get them down there and was like, you mentioned it, fingertips away from Deatric Nichols poking that ball out to having a moment that would have been a heritage moment in Hamilton, potentially across Canada, with that touchdown pass to Jalen Acklin for the win like there were fans across the stands that like had their butt out of their seat and were about to start cheering and then all of a sudden the ball hits the turf so Masoli's that close to having everything shift his way and potentially be the Grey Cup MVP so I think people need to realize that in professional sports in general and especially with respect to the game we're talking about like literally inches can change the outcome of the game and a lot of times that changes the narratives around a lot of players is jeremiah masoli a worse quarterback because that pass felt incomplete than he was would be if it was complete no but there's so many small little things that could have changed this game and the biggest one the Ticats fans are talking about and literally on the elevator down to the first level from the seventh floor where the press box is all the fans on the elevator were freaking out and talking about why did tim white take a knee and from my perspective, Hodge, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. Orlando Steinauer left the decision in White's hands. In my mind, he should have said, look it, you're bringing that ball out unless you're like 15 yards deep in the end zone. Because you can literally see it, and we had one of our followers on the Three Down Nation feed 
literally grab the picture. There's no bombers in the frame and he casually drops to a knee. And to me, it looks like White being used to taking a knee in the American game and not realizing that you were giving up a point. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't know about the point, but he is an American rookie and the casual way that he did it was very surprising. It was the it was I'm sorry, this is goofy. This is a, it was a bad decision. And Mike O'Shea defended his friend and colleague, Orlando Steinauer, after the game saying, hey, look, you guys always judge these things off of results. Uh, you guys, meaning the media, off of results more than the process. And his argument was, well, it was the right decision at the time because of field position. No, I'm sorry. That's garbage. Tim White has literally Olympic level speed. If he runs in a straight line, he's going to get out at least as far as he would have with the knee, and he's going to save that point. In which case, Michael and who's saying he doesn't break it for a touchdown? Well, exa- and like, that's, that's exactly what everybody's the point. missing here. Is like, okay, you're making an argument of saying, well, it was smart to get out to the 35. In the CFL, the general average return for a kickoff has got to be around 25 to 30 yards. And you mentioned it. White has Olympic level athletic ability. Nobody in that screen. Who's to say he doesn't break it out to the 50? That's what I don't get here. Giving up a point that late in the game in a gray cup makes no sense. Sorry, Hodge, I just had to get that in. No, I, I fully agree with you. It was the it was the wrong decision. And yeah, I think sometimes I and I think O'Shea's point is well taken. Yes, that is correct. Sometimes if if a decision works out, even if it was a bad decision, we just look at the result and say, eh, it worked. It had to have been a good decision or vice versa. In this case, it did not work out, but I'm sorry, it was a bad decision. You need to bring that ball out, give your give your team a chance to to put together, right? Get that field position with the return and uh, and make and keep it a two point game because uh, granted they're going into the wind, but Michael Domagala should still have been able to connect on anything from 35 yards in, and uh, they ended up get they ended up making it a 35 or 13 yard field goal. Like like give give your team a chance to win it, not just tie it. O'Shea's point is well taken in the sense that I do think it is unfair that the media judges decisions on whether they're successful or not. So I understand that part of it. And in reality, the decision in a roundabout way worked out because Sackett's got the ball at 35, then went down and kicked the field goal. But the fact of giving up a point changes it all, right? So I think what we're saying here, Hodge, and I'm only speaking for you and I, is that we're criticizing the decision by Steinauer and maybe even Jeff Reinbold to let White make the call on the fly. Like you tell him. And you lay it out because you know he hasn't been your returner all year long because Pappy went out earlier in the game. That's why White had to step in. Hey, if you catch it on the goal line or five yards deep, you're bringing it out. Anything 10 yards or deeper, yeah, you're taking a knee and we're willing to live with that decision of giving up the point and tying the ball game instead of winning it. So to me, that's the error. I really do like O'Shea pointing me out because I feel like too many times in the media, they'll say, well, Within the heat of the game, oh, they should have gone for it on fourth down and then, or third down, excuse me. And if they don't get it, then it's a bad decision. But that's an issue for another day. The Grey Cup, honestly, Hodge, and we're going long on this segment, but I feel like it deserves it, was a great day. Like the CFL needed that game. We've talked about it multiple times on the podcast that. Points are down in the league, and especially in 2021, some people attributing that to the year off in 2020. But the CFL needed a highly entertaining Grey Cup game that went off 
without really any hitches. Like honestly, buddy, the energy around the city and the stadium, especially on game day, it was hype. You could feel it. Fans were jacked up. There were hundreds of fans on the outside of the stadium watching the game on the Jumbotron or trying to peek through and catch a glimpse because there was a stadium record set at Tim Hortons Field of over 26,000 fans in attendance. Now, some people might say, well, they should have set up extra seating. And to that, I would say, well, you want to create demand. You want to make sure you sell out the game. But you could sense a palpable energy in the city. The stadium looked great, right? Part of that was due to the fact that it was packed. The game went back and forth. There was never a point in my mind where I thought it was over completely, even though it was 22-10 at one point for the Ticats. And I just think the CFL really, really, really needed that great cup to be entertaining. Because if it wasn't, that narrative of the CFL being less entertaining than the NFL would have continued. Well, yeah, you get 58 points in overtime. What else, what else do you want? Right. Like, I'm sorry if I, I mean, and this whole four down nonsense. And yes, I'm just calling it nonsense. It's garbage. Get it out of here. Um, it, frankly, yeah, I'll just say that it's garbage. It's nonsense. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out of here. Yeah, we, we can sit and talk about ways to make the CFL better. Arbitrarily adding a fourth. Yeah. In a league with a neutral yard between the offense and the defense. Yeah. Let's just add a down. And then when teams start running it. First, second, third down. Yeah, then we can all wring our hands. Oh, you know what we should do? We should go back to three down. Get, get rid of this garbage. There's other ways that we, to improve this league. Uh, the only way that four downs make sense, Hodge, and I'll add this as a caveat because we should probably have a longer conversation on it, is if the NFL provides money, and people aren't going to want to hear this, but cost certainty with the backing of the big bad shield from the United States, in my mind has to be what's driving this behind the scenes because there has been talk in past years of potentially being a feeder league for the NFL. Whether people want to hear that or not, that would provide a big boost of money. It would be similar to, let's say, the WNBA or the G League in the NBA because you have that money from a brand that is shown they can rake it in, whether that's the NBA, as I said, with the G League or the WNBA or the NFL, we clearly know how many millions of dollars they make. So I'm with you. We don't need to change it in terms of the rules and the entertainment value. The NFL does not need a feeder league. It, it has a feeder league. It's called the NCAA. And tens of millions of Americans care deeply about college football. That's why a third pro league in... And yes, I'm counting the NCAA as a pro league. I'm aware that the players aren't paid... But anything else surrounding the game day experience, well, they're going to start coaches to be based off their likeness, right? Well, that there you changed. go. So they're, and then they, now you're going to yeah. see players. You have indirectly Quinn going to Texas and exactly. making millions of dollars in the NFT market. So the players are going to be paid exactly. stars. So the the or the the United States currently has two pro leagues. For all intents and purposes, college football is the pros. They have two pro leagues. They don't need a third. They don't need a fourth. And we've repeatedly seen there's no hunger for a third or fourth. I don't see any reason why the NFL needs a feeder league. As far as I'm concerned, the CFL needs to remain its own thing. And as I've written in the past, could somebody just provide some actual evidence that the proposed change 
would be beneficial in some way because last I checked, XFL ratings in Canada were not good. AAF ratings in Canada were not good. College football ratings in Canada are not good. Like, the NFL has done well with four downs. That's great for the NFL. NFL is popular in Canada, in my view, and the numbers bear this out, because of betting, because of fantasy football, and because of Madden. If you're not getting those things, changing the CFL from three downs to four downs accomplishes literally nothing. And if there's evidence to suggest otherwise, I want to hear it. But please, don't just get on the Twitter machine and go, oh, four downs. That, that'll fit. No, like, give, give me some evidence to go on. I'm sick of this garbage. People just throwing this four downs thing out with nothing behind it and then expecting everybody to, to, to run and jump for joy. I'm sick of it. And for the record, I'm not questioning the report or calling the report garbage. I believe the report. I believe that the CFL is considering this change. What I'm calling garbage is the people who get on Twitter and say, oh, yeah, four downs. That sounds great. Like, what are you basing that on? I need to see some market research showing me this because I've never seen any evidence to suggest that there's more hunger for four down football in Canada at all. And if the CFL is going to change its game from a fundamental perspective, I'd certainly hope they're relying on more than a couple of fans on Twitter saying, oh yeah, four downs, that sounds interesting because I'm sorry, that's not enough market research for me. I need to see way more. That's why I'm trying to give you some context here, Hodge, and I totally agree with you on this point because I don't want to name names here, but the report came from TSN, right? Let's say what it is, Farhan Malji and Dave Naylor. Well, if you go back months ago, my good man, there is evidence on Twitter, now it might be deleted, of Mr. Naylor saying that the XFL was the be-all, end-all. He was making bets with other media members as to it happening because he felt that way. And look where we are now. Are they partnered with the XFL? No. Is it a possibility in the future? Yes. So we need to consider the source. You're bang on about that. What I'm trying to do is provide some real context based on real conversations I have had between people who were at the discussion table with the NFL. So I'm not saying they should go that way to fix the game, but it's something that's been discussed in the past by the CFL. And in my mind, that would be the one thing that could be driving this conversation. Fair enough. All right. I felt good getting all that out and we needed to go along on the Grey Cup and we'll stick with the CFL championship game because ratings were down 22% on TSN television from 2019, the lowest they've been in over a decade. How concerned are you and should the league be worried about the number? Yes, and if you're the league, I think you need to start considering and maybe applying some pressure to your television partner to get this game on truly national television. TSN is a cable channel for which most Canadians need to pay extra. Many Canadians don't. And all you had to do was look at social media and see the number of people, particularly young people, who, who statistically speaking, are much less likely to have cable than their parents' generation looking for illegal streams of the game. Yes, you can get TSN Direct. I watched the game on TSN Direct. TSN PR tweeted on Monday that streaming for the game from TSN Direct was up 75% from 2019. That's great news, Dunkster, but what I'm missing is what is the number of streams? Because if you're down 
600,000 people, right? 2.9 million average on English-speaking television. We're watching the game this year. That number was 3.5 in 2019. Well, did you get 600,000 extra streamers? Because if not, less people watch the game than ever before. And I've asked TSN for that number. I have not received a reply to my question. So it's nice that streaming is up. And it's great that TSN Direct's apparently getting more people involved. Again, I stream on TSN Direct because I choose not to have cable. However, 75% doesn't mean much if almost nobody streamed the game back in 2019. I want to know what is the number and how does it actually compare? Because 75% more of, say, you know, 200,000, that's a big number. 75% more above 5,000? Sorry, that doesn't mean anything. That number is really key to me. And there was a lot of, I would say, blowback on Twitter when I put the article out and had the number and provided some context. People are saying, well, cord cutting's happening. You don't have the digital number. Well, like you said, we've asked for it. And hey, we're just giving you the numbers based on TV, right? So don't shoot the messenger in this case. We're trying to provide context best we can, but Hodge, you made the salient point there that if we don't have the overall number of amount of people that watch the stream on TSN Direct or whatever way that it was, then we can't concretely say, well, they actually made up this difference. So we know what it was on TV in 2019, which is two years ago. It does seem like a lot has changed, obviously, right? And especially with internet being laid all around the country and trying to get it into more rural areas. There could be more cord cutters that have happened within those two years. But you look at the game, right? 33-12 in 2019. Yes, you had that sexy headline, I suppose, of one of these teams is going to break their streak, and the Bombers did. It was their longest drought or they, the longest drought in the league, and they hadn't won one since, I believe, it was 1990. But this actual game was better, right? It was closer, back and forth, and went to overtime. And you come in with a TV number that's much less. So some people will say, well, numbers are down across the board in other sports. But this is the Grey Cup. Normally, you can pencil it in for three-plus million on television. And my guess would have been, and talking about this with some other people who know TV really well, was that it would have at least been the same as 2019, if not outdone it, just based on the game. Well, and here's here's the thing that it tells me, and this is this is me coming at it from an outsider's perspective because I'm not a TV guy, Dunkster. But my thought process with this is that the CFL through its and for the record, I think TSN generally does a very good job of broadcasting the CFL. The CFL and TSN have become so synonymous in so many ways that if you are a TSN subscriber, you have become a CFL hardcore, right? You 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 listen to the Three Down podcast, obviously. You've got uh, uh, threedownnation.com on lock. You're a part of CFL Twitter. You go to the Grey Cup, right? You do all of these things. You're a season ticket holder that make you a hardcore CFL person. And if you're not a TSN subscriber and you haven't been for ten years, where where the heck are you seeing the CFL? Like like maybe you go to the bar and it's on. Maybe if they have TSN. But if you're a Sportsnet subscriber or anything else, you're you're a DAZN subscriber and you watch the NFL on that, right? You, you're not even aware that it's on. And I think it's time the Grey Cup needs to be nationally televised, right? The, the Grey Cup used to be on CBC. And I'm sure there were tens, and I don't have the facts to back this up, fair enough. But I'd be willing to bet a large number of people, and maybe the, the people looking for illegal streams of the game on social media is some evidence of this, anecdotally anyway, 
I'm sure there are tons of people who wanted to watch the game realize, oh, there's nowhere that I can just stream this. Or, oh, it's not on... What? It's not on CBC? Oh, well, I guess I'm watching something else. Because the ratings for other nationally televised things on Sunday night were good, right? There was NFL on CTV, which means you can watch the NFL... Right for for basic for your basic television package, but you got to pay extra for the Grey Cup. That that doesn't seem right to me. And is that an easy obstacle to overcome? No, but it's one that the CFL probably needs to take a look at when it comes time for their next television deal. Yeah, the more eyeballs on the product, the better. And I believe there was some people on Twitter talking about what the cost per ad was during the Grey Cup. I think it was in and around fifty thousand. For a 30 second commercial so imagine as you mentioned Hodge if that was on CTV like I would really like to understand and maybe we can do this in the off season is talk to some of the upper level executives at TSN and say hey why is the Super Bowl on CTV but the Grey Cup is not and explain to us why you know weekly NFL games are on CTV you made this point but I think it bears a real question. Let's get the explanation here and let's understand it and make all of ourselves smarter for it. But in my mind, it would be better as you're getting at to have the game exposed to as many people as possible, especially a game like we got on Sunday. Now, you don't know if you're going to get an overtime game. It's only happened in four times in the history of the Grey Cup. But still, you want to put your biggest pageantry on as many television sets, as many screens as you can across the country. So in my mind, they're kind of holding this number down themselves because they're not making it readily available. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. We'll be right back. The CFL announced a new deal with Genius Sports, a UK-based sports data and technology company. What can you tell us about it? (laughs) Man, I wish I had some insight into this. The most surprising thing to me was that Genius Sports now has an equity stake in the CFL's revenue arm. That's how I understand it. So Randy Ambrosi posed it this way that they felt like they couldn't necessarily pay genius sports to come in and do everything they wanted to do so this was a way to help get the deal done but honestly i had never heard of genius sports before our boy arash madani has been using it ever since it was unveiled in various funny ways which i find quite entertaining he feels like it's the next thing right we had 2.0 and then now we have genius sports And I get the same sense that the CFL just continues to look for a one-shot fix. They want everything in the business model to be fixed by doing one thing instead of doing the work, getting out there in front of people. Like I've said this multiple times, you can probably, even if you're in a rural community in Canada, have the NFL visible in some way with their flag football initiative. They've really gotten out there. We don't see that from the CFL. There's been stories behind the scenes of the CFL not having their branding on some of that stuff, even though people would have done it for free and they want this stuff. I've had coaches contact me and say, look, we want to put the CFL brand out there instead of the NFL brand. We want to get our kids introduced to the Canadian game, but the CFL won't even authorize it. Now, I don't understand how all this stuff works with the logo and legal and trademark and all that stuff. But the league needs to go about this in multiple ways and can't just be looking at genius sports as the one fix-all. 
Yeah, I, I think it's great if the CFL can incorporate, you know, betting and social media and video and use something in and make up create a package of some sort that's digital and can be sold and used to monetize fans year round. And if that's what Genius Sports is about, I think it's great. But I think you're absolutely right, Dunkster. Randy Ambrosi realized, okay, going on to that because we know he hasn't talked publicly in forever. He goes on the State of the League address. He looked extremely nervous. If you watch the video on YouTube, he oh, was sweating. Oh, you can feel it in the room, my man. Are start. you kidding me? Every question that came his way, he just looked like was dripping more sweat. And he's thinking, how can I tap dance around this? Like, Hodge, let me give you an example. I asked him directly about the salary cap. He somehow talked about Genius Sports. How is Genius Sports exactly. going to put money in the pockets of the players. I asked him about the football ops cap. Will it be going up? He talked about junior sports. That has nothing to do with either of those caps unless I don't know about it. But if you're going to tie it in there, Mr. Ambrosi, you got to make me understand it so that your fans and everybody else can. So again, sorry, I want to jump in because yes, you could feel the tension in the room and cutting it with a knife. And he started off the address with a 20-minute opening statement and full credit to Winnipeg Free Press reporter Jeff Hamilton for saying, hey, that opening was so long that you've cut down our question and answer period markedly. Can you stay with us longer to answer a bunch of questions? Because we got a lot of them. So full credit to Mr. Hamilton. And at the end of the day, this genius sports initiative might improve league revenue. That'd be great. But I think the odds of it improving league revenue enough by 2022. Let's keep in mind, Dunkster, these players are supposed to be coming for training camp in five months, right? Is is Genius Sports going to inject so much money into this league that five months from now players are going to see their their salaries increase? And the like, no, like it has nothing. I I I was I, I know you were in the room. I was watching the stream. Genius Sports. At least as far as maybe beyond it will, but but for 2022, I don't think it means anything for the player salary cap or the football ops cap. So I, I get it. Um, at the end of the day, Randy Ambrosi's 2.0 initiative has failed to generate any meaningful revenue, and the XFL talks were uh, a, like first of all they weren't productive. They didn't nothing came of them, and they were a disaster from an optics standpoint. So if you're going up on that stage, you need something. Hey, throw at Genius Sports. Do I hope Genius Sports injects a ton of money in the CFL? Nothing would make me happier than it being an overwhelming success. Uh, but you're right. This seems to be the, the latest thing in a series of things that the CFL can try to go, look, this is the silver bullet. And guess what? Silver bullet one, silver bullet two did nothing. Let's hope this one is different. Sportsnet's Arashmadani reported that the Edmonton Elks are hoping to entice Mike O'Shea to become their new head coach and general manager. What do you think, Mr. Hodge? I think Edmonton is wise to consider Mike O'Shea as head coach general manager because Mike O'Shea, I think it's been pretty proven by the dominance of his team over the last two seasons that he is the best head coach in the CFL. Um, with that being said... You know, going and I'm I'm not doubting Madani's report whatsoever, um, but saying that you're you're hoping to entice Mike O'Shea is kind of like somebody saying, you know, I, I just want I I just want Kate Upton to know that I'm willing to go on a date with her, right? Like I'm willing to do that if she's interested. 
I don't think Mike O'Shea is interested in becoming a general manager. He is under contract through 2022, and I think that actually means something to him. I don't think he is a Chris Jones type who's going to go wherever the money happens to be that day, that week, that month. I think he's going to be in Winnipeg in 2022. No, I don't see him as the head coach general manager in Edmonton. Well, you know what this is about, Mr. Hodge. It's a power play, and I'm not talking about the Jets' power play in Winnipeg. I'm talking about with the football team there. This is Mike O'Shea wanting to get more power in all facets, and I agree with you. He's not the type of guy like Chris Jones just to up and leave after a couple of years. I mean, he has been in Winnipeg, we got to keep in mind, for a number of years now and building what they have here. There, that said... This is what it's about, is a power play and him wanting to put people he trusts around him. And honestly, when you've won two Grey Cups and you're beloved by the players and everybody in the city, this is something that you can do with the football ops cap sort of shrinking the resources that can be available to coaches and guys like Michael Shea because he should probably be getting paid much more than what he should. But this is a way for O'Shea to get what he feel like he deserves potentially. And I don't think he's a money hungry guy, but that's what's going on over there in Winnipeg. That's in my mind, why the Elks would even consider wanting him, but it's more about, I think, leverage on O'Shea's side. Yeah, possibly, we'll see. Hamilton Tiger Cats head coach Orlando Steinauer is rumored to be joining the University of Washington as their new defensive coordinator, though he has denied speaking to the school regarding the job. Will he be making the switch this offseason, Dunkster? So let's just go through this, okay? Because people need to understand one important factor about Steinauer's response. He is very, very, very particular with his words, all right? So let's preface this by saying, in the pregame press conference, I asked him a question about the crowd, and I used the word can and he literally said, well, it's a good thing you slipped the word can in there because I would have answered it completely different if you did not. So within the context of what you're talking about, the speculation of him going to the University of Washington, let's literally listen to his answer and what he said most recently on the Ticats end of season media availability. I can look everybody in the eye and say that I have not been contacted by the University of Washington for their defensive coordinator job, either by Kalen DeBoer or by anybody from the university. The operative word there is I. All right? Yep. People in these positions have agents. They have their team with them, right, that are in their corner. So I is the operative word. This was the most telling part to me, though, Later on, he said, in this profession, it feels good to be wanted. Now, I think out of context, it doesn't really make much sense. And I don't necessarily think Steinauer was speaking to the Huskies in this particular quote. But how does he know he's wanted? Right? So that, to <laughs> me, was a little surprising. He said, I'm not job chasing. Well, yeah the Washington Huskies appear to be chasing and courting you, Mr. Steinauer, which is not bad. He said, I think it's a compliment. Well, where is the compliment coming from? I guess in that term, he's talking about the compliment of potentially being linked to the job. But if you look at some of the wording afterwards and then pick apart what he said, 
I is the operative word here. Hodge, everyone that I talk to in and around the city of Hamilton, across the league, believe that there is an offer on the table. And they would bet a lot of money that Steinauer is going to end up in Washington. Let's remember, he was born in Seattle. He played his high school football at near, nearby Linwood High School. He played collegiately at Western Washington University. So he's a Western, uh, West Coast, I meant to say, guy, right? He's a Washington guy. So it'll be a homecoming of sorts for him. And Hodge, can you imagine having an offer on the table for over $1 million per season? That's more than half of the football operations cap in the CFL. And oh, by the way, it's American dollars. And turning that down, I just have a hard time seeing Steinauer staying in Hamilton versus going to the University of Washington based on everything I've heard and some of the speculation that we've seen as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we've seen the last of Orlando Steinauer in Hamilton, at least for this go around. And I think it's wonderful that he's getting this opportunity. And frankly, I think it's great for the CFL as a whole if you have coaching talent being recruited south of the border, right, to major college programs or the NFL. Like we've seen Marcus Brady, right, become the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. And just like Steinauer, Brady was a CFL player before he was a coach. So we have talent that is being developed in Canada on the field, translating that to, to coaching post-football, and then trans translating that to success, success south of the border. I think that's brilliant for the league, and it's brilliant for Steinauer if he does, in fact, choose to go back home to the Seattle area and, and become the defensive coordinator for the University of Washington. I think that'd be great for him. But yes, Dunkster, that was my first thought as well when he answered the question. He's like, well, I'm not expecting you to be talking to them. Your agent's talking to them, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the whole point of an agent. If you're doing the deal, save the 3%, buddy. Like, do the deal yourself. Why are you paying an agent? So I think we'll wait and see. But yes, my expectation is that we have, just like you, my expectation, my belief is that Steinauer will be taking this job down south. And hey, good for him. He's earned it. And there's no hard feelings here, right? We're just connecting dots and doing the work behind the scenes to give you the best context to the situation we can give. Now, I want to say real quickly, there were some haters on the old Twitterati that were saying, well, you know, why did this question get asked right after the Great Cup game? And yes, it was me that asked it. And in my mind, I could have asked it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or even Saturday during Great Cup week and created potentially more of a distraction for the team. But in my mind, Steinauer has earned a classy reputation. He generally, from what I have seen, treats people very well. I hesitate to go too much further down that road because we're not with him behind closed doors. But still, he's a classy individual. I think he's handled this situation really well and he clearly did not want his team to think that he was potentially leaving after the Grey Cup game. And I think that's why we'll see this news not necessarily linger, but not necessarily happen right away because he wanted to go through all the proper steps, right? They had over an hour team meeting on their last day together on Tuesday before everyone went their separate ways, all the Americans going back to the United States and the Canadians going to their homes as well. And he allowed everybody in the organization to talk and he was emotional. We saw Jeff Reinbold during media day, well, I shouldn't say it like everybody did, but during media day, Reinbold was crying, talking about the memories with this current group. 
So if that doesn't tell you that there's about to be a big change in Hamilton, I don't know what else you're going to believe. Let's move on. You've reported the free agent list for all nine CFL teams, Haji. Great job. The one with the most questions arguably are those Hamilton Tiger Cats with Dane Evans and Jeremiah Mastoli on the list. Which QB should the Tiger Cats bring back in 2022? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's ironic, right, that Dane Evans arguably gets the Tiger Cats to the Grey Cup and then Jeremiah Mazzoli is the better quarterback in the game. Right, because we saw kind of the opposite thing happen last year where Jeremiah Mazzoli was the guy and then was unable to play in the Great Cup. Personally, I think both are very good quarterbacks, but to me the answer is clear. You go with the quarterback who is younger. You go with the quarterback who is vaccinated against COVID-19. You go with the quarterback who was the better one in the East final, and that's Dane Evans. Um, Jeremiah Mazzoli, I think, will be back in the CFL in 2022. Um, reportedly he is unvaccinated that will need to be taken care of because frankly i'm not sure how he's going to get into the country if he remains unvaccinated unless of course regulations change by the time that uh, the cfl training camps get underway uh, presumably in may of 2022 but and mazzoli is going to be a starting quarterback in the cfl i could see him in bc potentially i could see him in toronto potentially i could see him in ottawa potentially there's going to be suitors for both of these quarterbacks and dane evans has already spoken to the media talking about how he would like to potentially explore free agency as well. So if you're Hamilton, you can't go wrong with either of them. I'm just saying for the for the youth reason and the vaccination reason, to me, the answer is the Ticats should have Dane Evans as their number one choice. And then Jeremiah Mazzoli should be choice eh, 1B. Let's call it that. Dude, if I'm Dane Evans, I want to explore free agency so badly because he was locked into a three-year deal. Man, like honestly, he was playing at a bargain rate. And I think it's a little bit unfair that those guys get coerced into doing so. I understand that they're the ones that signed the contract, man. But oh, even the way the draft contracts are slotted now, it's just wholly unfair. That's a topic for another day. This decision is really intriguing, but there's going to be multiple factors here. And we just talked about it. Whether or not Steinauer is still the head coach is going to play a factor. Is Sean Burke still in the front office in football operations for the Tiger Cats, or is he elsewhere potentially running another team as a GM, namely Ottawa and Edmonton, where they have openings? So he could maybe take one of those quarterbacks there. You mentioned it with Masoli. There's going to be other suitors. You look at teams out there that need quarterbacks, and you know, there was some hate on this too when I put the report out that Paul Apelis wants Chris Strebler as the starting quarterback in Ottawa. Well, that's a fact. That's what he wants. doesn't necessarily mean that's what he's going to get. And the GM is going to have a say, whoever is hired there. So you would look at Ottawa as an open quarterback spot. You would certainly look at Edmonton because the incoming general manager and head coach might not necessarily be fans of Nick Arbuckle or Dakota Prukov. In my mind, so I think that's where another quarterback spot is going to be open. And then, of course, the Ticats are going to need one. So there's at least three teams, and you have Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans, and there are other quarterbacks as well, Hodge, that are going to be at least pending free agents, but three teams that need starting quality quarterbacks, and that's exactly what Masoli and Evans both are. Different styles, certainly. Different ways of going about it. Different mentalities, I would say. Masoli's much more quieter and less forthcoming, especially in media availability. So... There's big decisions to be made here. The one thing that I have a hard time seeing is both those guys back with the Ticats just purely based on the contractual terms, meaning the money that it would take to get both those guys back with you. 
would be really hard to do, at least under the current cap. And Ambrosi wasn't forthcoming, saying it was going to go up a bunch. So it's really difficult to see that. Yeah, they won't both be back in Hamilton for the reason you mentioned. And that's why I wanted to talk about this list. There's juicy names on every single free agent list because this is a league where 85% of the players, it seems, are free agents at the end of the year, um, which will hopefully change in the future. But that'll take a new CBA to fix that. Um, but, you know, there, there aren't any other teams with two starting caliber quarterbacks. And Hamilton has had that luxury, right, for a while now. And that luxury uh, will, will run out at the end of these deals that, that expired February of 2022. So, you know, I, I think, and, and the reason I threw BC in there, of course, is if Michael Riley retires, if he does not retire, then, you know, depending on how those contract renegotiations go, maybe that's not an opening. But Edmondson, I think, is an interesting one. You mentioned Dunkster, particularly if Sean Burke is a serious candidate for the GM job there, which I understand uh, he is. So that'll be a very intriguing storyline to follow because everywhere else, you know, Zach Kolaris, yeah, he's a pending free agent. Do I think he leaves Winnipeg? No. <laughs> he's. I think he's very comfortable in Winnipeg. He's the reigning MLP, and I think Winnipeg will pay him accordingly to keep him in Winnipeg. Um, likewise, with lots of other starting quarterbacks, that to me is why Hamilton is the most intriguing list. We got to take a break. But when we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2005, Doug Barry was named as the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The native of Claremont, New Hampshire, had spent seven previous seasons as an assistant coach with the Montreal Alouettes, appearing in four Grey Cups and winning one. Barry coached Winnipeg to a 27-26-1 record over three seasons, reaching the Grey Cup in 2007 with Ryan Dinwiddie under center for an injured Kevin Glenn. He was fired following an early playoff exit in November 2008 and replaced with Mike Kelly, which in retrospect may not have been the best option for Winnipeg at that point in time. Dunkster, what are your memories of Doug Barry? A fiery dude, certainly, but what doesn't make sense to me looking back on it, and this happens I feel like way too much, is literally he had the team in a Grey Cup in 2007, right? And you mentioned it, KG was injured. And less than a year later, the dude is fired. Like, how does that make any sense? How do you get any stability? And clearly, it didn't work out, as you mentioned, with Kelly taking over. That was just a straight disaster. Yeah, and I think uh, I think there were a lot of factors at play in that decision. Maybe not coming necessarily from football people, maybe more so from the business side of things. But at the end of the day, my prevailing memory of Doug Barry is the 2006 Milt Stiegel miracle touchdown at Commonwealth Stadium and that great video clip of him running along the sidelines, elated about that last second catch. That clip, I've probably seen it a thousand times. I hope to see it a thousand more. And speaking of elation, take your vehicle to Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube will get you set up right for the winter time. They will always take good care of your vehicle. You're in, you're out in a Jiffy. It's getting cold everywhere across this country. Take your vehicle to Jiffy Lube. Keep it running right this winter. There'll be lots of excitement and no disappointment when in the dead of winter and all that cold swirling around, your car still turns on because you just got that fresh oil change from Jiffy Lube. So go in, get out, back on the road in a Jiffy. Keep yourself warm in your car. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. The Argos have officially terminated the contract of Vice President of Player Personnel John Murphy. Is that a surprise? 
nope, it had to be done what he allegedly said on video and what was caught on audio, the homophobic slur, has no place in a league that has a tagline that's diversity is strength and works with multiple organizations in terms of the pride movement, so it had to be done. Former CFL defensive back Eric Harris suffered a torn pectoral muscle with the Atlanta Falcons. How much does that suck? It really does suck. He's been a full-time starter in the NFL at safety for three, four seasons now, dating back to his time with the Raiders. Hate to see it. The Montreal Alouettes have parted ways with special teams coordinator Mickey Donovan. Dunkster, do you think that was deserved? To be quite honest, no. It seems like they're just making a move to make a move. Like I thought the return game was actually pretty good, especially with Super Mario Albert there. But I wonder what else might be in the works with Donovan. He has a history in the university ranks. Maybe there was a job that he wanted to go take. Or maybe this was just the Alouettes having a scapegoat instead of pointing the finger at Kari Jones. Saying, all right, you got a chance. You tweak with your staff here. Do what you want to do. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau congratulated Winnipeg on winning the Grey Cup and the CFL for completing their season. What were your takeaways from the statement? <laughs> My only takeaways were reading the comments and the responses on Twitter. Justin Trudeau talk about the CFL. I don't think you could find a less popular person in CFL circles than Justin Trudeau. I mean, man, he on that he may as well be wearing a, a blue a double blue jersey to Labor Day in the hammer. My goodness. Calgary signed lockdown cornerback Trey Roberson to a contract extension and Dunkster. It's a two-year deal. That's right. Through 2023. Amazing. Is that a good move? It's a heck of a smart move for John Hoffnagel. He got the old Calgary discount there in his contract. Roberson clearly likes being in Cowtown. They want to have him. And I like to see, as you mentioned, the multi-year term. BC resigned six Canadians, including fullback David Mackey. Smart move or not? Absolutely. David Mackey does not play a sexy position, but to me, he's one of the most underrated players in the CFL. Last one, Dunkster. Jeremy O'Day says the Riders do not plan to have any unvaccinated players under contract in 2022. Is that a surprise? It's really not. We saw John, John Huffnagel make a similar statement about that in Calgary. What I'm most curious to see is if Paxton Lynch decides to change his mind and get the vaccine and come back to Saskatchewan just because I want to see Lynch play on a CFL field, but that's really different. Hey, I'm, I'm feeling the same thing. He languished all year behind the scenes. I want to see him under center, particularly assuming, of course, we get a preseason in 2022, which we did not in 2021. That's it for us. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. He's Justin Dunk. I'm John Hodge. We'll see you next Wednesday. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.